Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Niefer, and today we're actually joined by the latest Top Producer Award winner, and that's Todd Malaka from Minnesota. So, Todd, uh, uh, I know we just had spring, official spring started, I think, a couple days ago on the 20th. Uh, Has spring arrived in Minnesota, or is it still looking a little bit like winter? You know, it's uh, we still have snow on the ground. I look out the window right now, Paul, and uh, we're getting some flurries, but uh, we had a nice shower of rain uh, last night, and uh, um, yeah, the snow has almost all disappeared, but I go 50 miles south of here, and there is no snow. So, uh, yep, spring is on the way. What what I think I've heard some jokes about Minnesota weather. It's like there's like two or three seasons. There's mud season. There's road construction season, and then there's winter. It seems like they skip over summer. But I've been in Minnesota in the summer, and you guys have really nice summers. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Minus the mosquitoes, um, it's beautiful. And uh, what, what, no, it's a beautiful place. For for the listeners out there, uh, whereabouts are you located in in Minnesota? You know, we're in central Minnesota. We're, uh, you've got uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Fargo. I-94 cuts across the state, and uh, literally, we're right in the middle, not far away from a town called Sox Center. We're about 10 miles off the interstate. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I've been on that interstate many times, so I've uh, I've driven by your place fairly, uh, probably been pretty close to uh, being near your place. So now, Todd, you have a little bit of a unique story in that uh, uh, you started fairly small. So let's go ahead, actually, before I say how you started, let me tell you the story or let I'll let you tell the story as to uh, how you started the farm operation and so on. You know, <clears throat> really, the farming operation began in 89. Um, well, I got out of the military in 88. But prior to that, you know, farming has been a, a lifelong thing for me. And uh, it's one of those things that uh, my great grandparents, my grandparents, uh, my dad, and uh, now me, and now we have kids. But, uh, um, you know, we all come from very humble beginnings with uh, a, a big emphasis on scarcity in our background. Um, never really had a lot and uh, just knew how to work hard. But uh, I got out of the service in 88. Um, and all of a sudden there was a neighbor gal riding horse by and, uh, and that, that happened in 88. And uh, I just asked my mom who that was. And uh, here was the neighbor gal. She lived a few miles up the road, never met her. And uh, we were married then in July of uh, 89. Um, but uh, it was like a few days before the wedding, um, uh, my wife Louise was cleaning up the yard and uh, she was mowing on a hill and the mower got away from her. She jumped off and she was run over by the lawnmower and consequently Ooh. we were married in uh, Douglas County Hospital up in Alexandria, Minnesota and then kind of spent our honeymoon in the Hennepin County Medical Center down in uh, Minneapolis or in the metro area. So 
Um, so yeah, I, we I started think, out in a repossessed trailer house, or I mean, it was a trailer house 14 by 70 that we bought from the bank and, uh, and uh, a lot of medical bills. So I, I think she was just trying to make sure that you really were committed to the relationship, Todd. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think she. <laughs> but I have to be honest with you, Paul. You know, she she was on drugs when I married her, and uh, <laughs> but, no, but no, she for real, she was on an IV, and uh, yeah. we were married in the hospital. And and so you um so you had the the mobile home, and you know that's sort of interesting. Our house that I grew up in, uh, my first house burned up when I was eight years old. And then my uh, father actually was, again, a farmer, but he had built three or four or five homes, I think, during his lifetime, or maybe more than that. And we ended up uh, living in a 14 by 70 foot trailer for about three years while my dad built a house from scratch. So uh, yeah. uh, I, I know those, uh, I know those trailers. So, uh, but, uh, so you, you were living in a, in a, you know, basically a mobile home, and then you started the dairy operation at that point, or did that come a little bit yeah, later? You know, so what, what we did is uh, had money in the bank after getting out of the military. Of all things, we were able to purchase 13 cows. Um, I then rented uh, space. We rented space in my dad's barn. My dad was already at the point where he had like about 100 cow tie stall barn, you know, the old traditional type. But him and mom, you know, they're getting tired. And uh, so uh, we rented space and then we worked on shares and yeah. uh, put our cows there. Yeah, and that's, I, I think, pretty common, uh, you know, where uh, mom and dad are there to try to help uh, son or daughter, uh, you know, get started and so on. Because, you know, I think we, we both realize that, uh, that farming is a very capital intensive business. And uh, even if you got a little bit of money saved up, it, it's difficult to get started. That is correct. It, it is difficult, but you know, it, it's about focus. And, and for us, we didn't know any better. It was about focus and sacrifice. That's, that's all we knew. And we both knew that we were passionate about it. I mean, we were, we were all in. And um, whether it was right or wrong, we were all in and uh, did our best with what we had. So you, you started with 13 cows and then um, it's evolved since then, since then. So let's just go through maybe, you know, a decade by decade, just sort of, you know, the first decade, second decade. I'm, I'm just curious how it's grown and, and maybe some of the uh, things that happened along during that process. Yeah, so, so in the nineties, we just, uh, we ended up renting another dairy farm and uh, we milked at a couple dairy farms, different dairy farms, just because uh, the cows, you know, you buy a cow and cow has a calf, you take care of them, they, you know, earn you money. And yep. uh, so we just kept, it was a natural progression. So we did that uh, for probably, yeah, about 10 years. And uh, we kept, uh, made it, we're out in California and we got to see the so-called big dairies and then down in Arizona and was just intrigued by it. And all of a sudden we, you know, we just, how can we take and build? And uh, so we were able to build a, uh, 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 our first dairy barn in 1998. And uh, 
you know, with, with that being said, we built that and, uh, and that's where we are. We're milking about 11, 1200 cows and, uh, trying to work at, uh, bringing things to the next generation. And, uh, but during that time, we also out of the necessity, out of the necessity to provide feed and stuff to our cows, we ended up going into uh, doing a lot of, a lot of, uh, custom work, whether it's custom chopping or custom baling, um, and uh, just provide services to many other people. And, and so I think you, you, do you own all the land that provides the forage or is part of it rented or, or how, how, yeah, I, I think you do have some ground that is yours and so on. I was just curious yeah. how, how that's structured. We, we own about a third of our ground and then we rent the other two thirds. And, and primarily that's going to be silage or hay or a yep, combination uh, corn, of both? Corn, beans, corn, beans, alfalfa rotation. Okay, okay, okay. And then I'm just sort of curious, uh, yeah, you know, because when a cow is pregnant, you know, they can either have a male calf or a female calf, but I think isn't these days with the genetics and some of the AIing and so on that you can try to have more females than males? Or I, I'm just curious on that. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of off so, topic, but it, it's just uh, something I'm interested in. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's uh, so it's it's our herd manager, and uh, he he takes care of that for us. But uh, we do uh, predominantly same sex breeding on all the female animals. I mean, we do genomic testing. So between the same sex breeding and the genomic testing, and uh, then, you know, just through planning, you know, they, they know which animals they want to have beef and they want, uh, they shoot for uh, what they want is black calves if they're gonna be a bull calf. And uh, then uh, we have plenty of, Holstein female animals and uh, through genomic testing, we're able to properly and aggressively call. So we have the proper animals on our farm. Okay, okay. And then is the the market for your milk, is that a local cooperative? Is it a private? I, I was just curious where yeah, you deliver uh, your milk to. Um, yeah, we're gonna be uh, going to First District Association down in Litchfield, Minnesota. Okay. They, uh, they just took and uh, did a, a large plant expansion, uh, wonderful co-op that uh, they're really in touch with, uh, really in touch with the farmer's needs. They're not one of these huge, huge co-ops, um, but they're a very well-run and a very focused co-op. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I... Uh... Uh, you know, back in 2017, when the uh, new tax law came out and, and we sort of had that green glitch fix, I, I ended up learning more about cooperative taxation than I think I ever wanted to know. But uh, but uh, that's the, that, that's a that's a different topic for another day. So yeah. um, now, as we've gone along, you know, you've you've certainly uh just like your cows, uh, maybe that's not the right way of saying it, but you, you've, you've produced some offspring. They're involved in the uh, farm operation. Let, let's go through uh, your kids who's currently involved, who was involved, maybe not currently involved, and, and how that's affected your, uh, yeah, your operation. 
Yeah, so it, our, our kids have all attended higher education. So whether it's a trade school or a college, and our kids range in age from 33 to 18. We have seven of them. Of the seven, five are uh, currently on the payroll. Um, my oldest two are not. They, uh, uh, they, they do trucking and farming. And, uh, but uh, then I have William and Jonathan, they're, they're gonna be vested here in the operation. I have Rebecca, she's working at uh, becoming vested. And then we have uh, Caitlin, she works a lot with our uh, social media. And uh, my golly, check out uh, the YouTube site or our <laughs> website. It, it really is amazing what these this younger generation has done, yep. how they communicate. And then we have our youngest son, Robert, and uh, he was a PSEO student. And uh, he has uh, doing things like mechatronics and uh, machining. So, um, you know, and I can't forget our amazing in-laws. Um, you know, I have a daughter-in-law that uh, is my right-hand person, Emily. She works in the office. And we have Naomi and then a son-in-law, Jason, who are all around. That's that's uh, quite quite a quite a grouping of kids and, and uh, daughter and son-in-laws. So uh, um, now you had mentioned the two older sons are, are becoming vested. So you're, you're allowing them to come into ownership. Let's, let's just touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so Paul, I have to be honest with you. We are in transition right now. And uh, so we are transitioning. And that is, uh, they're going to be officially vested next year. And, uh, but everything is set up with uh, just uh, getting everything in the proper, for lack of better words, the proper box or the proper company and uh, just, just the organization of everything to allow this to take, to take place without, uh, with being, with a future generation in mind is what I mean. So, mm -hmm. and, and we've surrounded ourselves with an amazing team of professionals to uh, help us get this done. And, and speaking of that team of professionals, you know, I, I would like to maybe have a discussion with you know, how Rita uh, Striegel has come in and helped your, I would say both your business and your family to even prosper more. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit more deeper. So yeah. go through why, how did that start? What was the cause for that? How it's helped and, and so on. Well, you know, um, sometimes, uh, wow, one of them things, uh, Rena, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And yep. uh, what I mean by that is Rena's a teacher. She's not only a teacher, but a wonderful communicator and a person whose values very closely aligns with our values. Um, we have a family business, and uh, but what you have to recognize is try to put yourself in those kids' shoes. They only want to listen to mom and dad for so long. I mean, let's face it, probably when you're a teenager, all of a sudden, it's kind of like you kind of have that disconnect. 
But Rena, Rena is so much more than a uh, EOS, entrepreneurial operating systems. That's what she has implemented in our place. But Rena, Rena is like that third party. She is that person where we take and we have an operating platform called EOS. She implements it, but we have transparent and transparent and straightforward roles in our operation where we try to take the family part out of it. So we wear two hats. We have the business hat and we have the um, family hat and business is business. So Rena provides a safe place. It isn't that she, she, yeah, she provides a safe place for everybody to be heard. That's, that's really what she does. And, and then we have everything structured around EOS and Rena is our implementer for EOS. How long have you been um, using that system or trying to use that system? We have been successfully using it for seven years. We started seven years ago. First year is bumpy and hard. You know, you, I tell you the first year it, it was extremely frustrating, Paul, you know, like as, as I, and I think a lot of people out there, boy, it's hard, you know, all of a sudden you build your so-called one man or one family show, you know, yep. and it's your creation and you build this and all of a sudden it's about, you have to learn how to trust and let go but you know but then you have to identify trustworthy people that you want around you and um you know it it all begins with values so um you know so it's through that trusting process and then letting go and uh, trusting the process to do right Maybe maybe we'll step back. So you started seven years ago. I, I think for the listeners out there, because I, I know there are other farm families out there using the EO system. Maybe um, in that first year, what's what's just for those that don't know what EOS is or don't understand it. Um, what what happened in that first year? What's what's the steps? How often do you have to meet with? Uh, somebody like Arena. Let's let's just dive into those details yeah. a little bit more. So, Arena, uh, we take and we meet with. She's on the farm every quarter, and uh, we have one annual meeting. But meetings, meetings. I used to be at meetings, and I used to hate meetings. And the reason why I hated them is because you'd look at. I would look at lot. Look at it as what it's costing me with all the loss productivity, you know, this is the way I used to think, what it's costing me with all the lost productivity and um, what are we actually accomplishing? But now with EOS, every Monday morning, they, they refer to it as a level 10 meeting. So that level 10 meeting is, uh, is a meeting where we have an agenda. And, and it's an agenda where people put things down in a very structured format. So, you know, we start out the meeting by checking in. You know, we talk about uh, one great thing that happened uh, during the week. Then we roll into, you know, discussing. So every quarter we have uh, individual goals and objectives. 
you know, like maybe all of a sudden somebody, I'm just giving it as an example, um, maybe somebody wants a new, uh, new forage harvester. So what they have to do is uh, go through and do the exercise to take and come to the group and explain why they need that. That's just one of many things. All of a sudden somebody wants to feed out uh, bull calves a little bit farther. Well, show us how and what you're gonna do. And, and they do that and present it to the team. And then we do that. But uh, that's, that's just covering, you know, simple goal setting, you know what I mean? We mm -hmm. have uh, quarterly goals, we have yearly goals, we have three-year goals and 10-year goals. But uh, more getting back to the meeting and what it looks like with Rena. Rena uh, keeps us on track. She takes and uh, every quarter we go out, we, or every quarter she comes, and we have a very in-depth review on uh, progress and any issues that we have on the farm. So whether it be with family or, or other labor or other financial things too, and uh, the things that go on in the farm. So is, is an EOS system, is it really designed to what, create better communication, better role solving, or, or I'm, I'm still curious as to what EOS, EOS is really trying to accomplish? Yep, it's uh, we, we create communication or we have systems with communication around them. So everything, but more importantly than in the end, so with the systems, the communication, but then in the end, we have accountability and we can mm -hmm. track progress. So we have, uh, you know, we have a weekly scorecard. Now on this scorecard, it's things that are pertinent to our operation. We track what's important to us. Like we'll track, uh, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I'm just going as simple as it is. We'll talk about uh, how much straw was sold. We'll talk about somatic cell. We'll talk about how many DAs or displaced abnormasiums we may have, you know. So we have a list of probably 20 items that are covered on the scorecard. And uh, we, we not only have the scorecard with uh, goals, and, uh, but then we take and we code them. Uh, we have it kind of visual also. We have it with a number, but we color code them, whether it's uh, red, meaning bad, yep. yellow caution, and green good to go. So. Yep. And yeah. uh, is that include both? Um, so I heard some operational items there, but I'm assuming there's what some financial uh, metrics there that you look at too. Yes, there are. Now the financial metrics we we take and uh, we we have a part-time CFO that we work with, and uh, those those are done on a monthly basis, but. Uh, you know, what drives the financial matrix of things is our scorecard. You know, if all of a sudden, you know, your death loss or, you know, performance or uh, something is bad on the scorecard, you know, that, that all trickles right to, it all trickles right to the, uh, you know, the bottom line. And that's the, uh, 
the financial, the monthly financial statement. And, and yeah, I'm I'm glad you sort of brought up the 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 monthly or the part time CFO. Uh, just curious, when did you start that? Uh, maybe what type of accounting system you're using and so on. Let's, let's, since I am a CPA, I, I like digging into those financial side of it a little bit. Uh, let's just go through that process a little bit. Yeah. So so for us, we started out very. We started out in a shoebox. Okay. And uh, with a checkbook you carry in your back pocket. That's where yep. we started in the 80s. And uh, then we went to uh, um, just Red Wing software. But we, we approach things in a very collaborative way. Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I do take and uh, we try to stay current with things by attending things like TPAP and APEX and uh, see what's working for other people. But our accounting software is CenterPoint and uh, that's from Red Wing. And, yep, yep. Uh, and then uh, what, what we use is to, you know, it, it used to be where all of a sudden our lender, you know, boy, they would go through and we would do stuff on FinPAC and FinBin and all this and that. And, uh, but soon their lives changed or the lenders yeah, meaning that all of a sudden now we were responsible to do that. And not only were we responsible, but as we grew, more accountability came into play. And so with that, we just, you know, I kept hearing these buzzwords about uh, having a part-time CFO. And so things just naturally evolved into um, uh, getting a part-time CFO. And uh, so, so that's that's what we have, and they they take and they prepare, you know, our monthly financials. Um, you know, we take and uh, they they always do a peer review. You know what I mean to just ensure uh, credibility and accurate numbers, and uh, and that's what we provide to the lender. Okay, so they they come in once a month and and uh, essentially true up your financial statements, maybe make some of those final journal entries. Uh, do they help then prepare the reports, prepare some yes. of that benchmarking that you're looking at to see? Uh, yep. maybe if we're on track, budgeting and stuff like that. We do compared versus actual. And, uh, but uh, yeah, the most important thing is they, so if we, we wanna do something, if we wanna, make a capital purchase, you know, they're the ones that will uh, do the write-up and uh, okay. or do the narration of it for the lender. And then uh, they're the ones that provide everything in a very um, presentable format that is uh, not only agreeable to us, but agreeable to the lender. It's very much so a... Uh, it's not about what we want. It's about getting the information that is meaningful to the people around us. So whether that's uh, a lender, whether it's uh, our managers here, uh, so they can take and say, hey, something isn't right with nutrition. Look what's going on here. You know what I mean? Or income over feed costs, things like that. These are all certain KPIs that all leave a very telltale. Uh, you know, uh, a very 
I don't know what you'd say, end item story where, hey, here's the deal and here's the why. You're able to quickly dig in and diagnose what what's going on or be able to accurately do a SWOT. You know, what happened? If something's going good, you can find out why it's going good. If something's going bad or not too expected, you know why it isn't and you can explain yourself. Well, and, and I guess, you know, for a lot of our row crop producers out there, um, I won't say they're still the shoebox because they're not. I mean, they're using accounting software, but, you know, I don't think they necessarily use it as a management tool. And I guess the question I have for you is having that part-time CFO, having those very good financial records, do you view that as something that helps you make decisions better, quicker, and more efficiently? Yes, because it's one of them things you, uh, when, when you have a part-time CFO, what, what you end up doing is essentially taking the monkey off your back. Now you have somebody else who's looking at your numbers and signing off on them. So not only does it take the monkey off your back, I mean, not totally, but it, it gives you credibility because you have that third party or another set of eyes saying, yep, this is true and correct. And, you know, a lot of these CFOs, you know, let's face it, a lot of them have like that uh, CPA type background, you know, they yeah. are very credible people. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all, they understand how CPAs think, talk, and then it, it just all rolls in together with tax planning and uh, tax preparation. You know, it, all of a sudden everything becomes much more, it, it becomes holistic, but much more easier because you have all these professionals talking the same language yep. and things just naturally happen in the proper way. I, I know sometimes like when I'm uh, writing up a story or I'm looking at a tax return and I won't say I'm struggling on it, but you know, you, you sort of get blinded by the fact that you're the ones that created it, you're looking at it, and then you have somebody else take a look at it, and right away they spot three things that that if you had stepped away from it and came back, you know, maybe two days later, you would have spotted it right away yourself, but you get sort of lost in the forest for the trees. So yes, uh, yeah. it, it's just nice to have that, that extra set of eyes that really is sort of independent. You know, they're not part of the operation, uh, and, and they're just there to to both help you and also, like you say, give that credibility. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, Todd, we're, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. And uh, actually, we're getting pretty close to the end of the conversation here. I, I think I know you have a, a call at the top of the hour, but uh, we'll go ahead and take a quick break right now. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neifer, your host. Uh, we're going to go ahead and rejoin our conversation with uh, with Todd Malaka. Um, Todd, I guess uh, one question that I always try to ask uh, when I do these podcasts with farmers, especially, is uh, what what keeps you up at night? Is there something that you really worry about? Uh, I'm just curious, what's what's the key thing that the, that keeps you up at night right now? You know, things things have changed and evolved, and uh, probably now the first thing I, I just want everything, everyone to be healthy. You know, I mean, when when all all the equipment safety, you know, when you have when you have people going in a lot of different directions um safety and yeah. uh, very important with the safety you know we can talk about the crazy prices that we're having to pay for fuel and uh you know input costs and things like that you bet that's all very very real but uh that's stuff that we can in a way control through uh you know booking ahead of time i mean granted you can't uh isn't like we have a crystal ball, but, uh, you know, as long as you have a marketing plan and you're staying true to it, um, you know, that's, that's one thing, but, uh, you know, I just, I worry, I worry. So everybody comes home at the end of the day, it isn't that we're unsafe, but I think the older you get, uh, you just see how little things can really make a big difference. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my, my father who my, I'm, I'm the oldest of three three children. My dad was 47 when I was born. Actually, I'm a set of Irish twins. I was born January 18th. My brother was born uh, November 18th, exactly 10 months to the day uh, after I was born. But uh, you know, my dad was in his mid 60s. He's in the shop in the winter time. He's got a nylon type coat on. And he's, uh, you know, working on a drill press and, and you know, yeah. the drill press has got a little, I won't say it's a cotter pin, but it was a little pin that stuck out. And as he's bringing the handle down, you know, that little pin caught his uh, vest or this coat and it just you know, wrapped his arm around and it had a two horsepower motor. So it was oh, a pretty yeah. good sized drill press and it broke his right arm in about, I think, eight pieces on on the forearm. Um, you know, he goes to the hospital, he comes back, you know, he's out driving tractor, you know, right away to getting ready for, uh, you know, spring planting. And then uh, the next year he's driving a brand new combine going up a hill and the transmission gear blew up on it. And so suddenly he tips over the combine and, you know, he gets his leg trapped there and uh, breaks that leg. So, you know, it's, and he didn't do anything wrong. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just the reality when you're around big equipment, you know, things can happen. So I, I definitely share uh, your concern there. Yeah, you know, like uh, things, uh, yeah, these accidents, they happen so fast and, and they're so, you know, I mean, they're just, it's it's the final deal. I mean, you know, yeah. like it, it happens and it has repercussions. So, yeah. Yeah, and I have I have friends of mine, you know, they've had a finger cut off because they, you know, thought the sickle was not going to be that fast or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's just things that happen. And like you say, it's in the blink of an eye almost. So, but, yep. uh, and then, uh, you know, the last thing I always like to end with is, uh, 
And 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 again, I didn't warn you about this, Todd. So sometimes I warn you, but I think you'll be able to cover this fairly easily. Is uh, what's what's your definition of success in farming? You know, uh, so the progressive realization of a worthy idea. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I that that I'm going to say, Todd, that's the shortest. Um, answer I've ever had to that question, and it's actually probably one of the better answers. So, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I, I, I think it's great that you know you have your family involved, I, but I also think it's great that you, um, to some degree, you keep family separate from business. I mean, yes, it is a family business, but it is sort of a business first, and then, and not necessarily family second, but you're you're trying to make sure that that business is set up so it it allows that family to continue in the business for multiple generations. Am I saying that accurately or yeah. I, yes. I'm just but curious on that? Always accountability is key. You know, you're going to have people that perform at different levels and um, but accountability is always key. It's very important that people uh, do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. And it yeah. uh, doesn't matter what their ability is but accountability is key, yeah. Or if they can't do what they say they're gonna do, they communicate to you, hey, I'm not able to do this, here's the reason why, can we get some help to help me get it done? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't mind somebody not being able to do something if they communicate to me, you know, that we have enough time to fix it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the ones that are afraid to admit that they can't get it done that, that I worry about. Yeah. Paul, you know, that brings up another thing. We always ask it, even working with vendors, salespeople, but most importantly with ourselves. And we always ask this question. Number one, do they get it? Number two, do they want it? And number three, do they have the capacity? You know, so as a team, it's important to always ask that. Do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity? And then when we're at, at a team and you see somebody struggling, it isn't about trying to get the leg up on someone or something like that or squash them. No, it's about when we function as a team, it's about identifying maybe somebody that's lagging a little bit behind. And uh, our job as a team is to take and bring them back up because we've already identified them as a team player. So we're not going to play any vicious, mean stuff. We're going yep. to take and do what we can to bring them up to the proper level that they need to be at or help exactly. them through it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, again, Todd, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have this conversation. And again, uh, uh, you know, definitely I want to uh, commend you for winning the top producer of the year award. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was, it was good seeing you in Nashville. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. You have a wonderful day. Okay, thanks, Todd. Yep, and again, bye. this is the this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer, and this is Paul Nefer, your host, going ahead and signing off. <laughs>